architect and critic Michael Sorkin suggests about the author of The Death and Life of Great American Cities that Jane Jacobs saw the city through corrective lenses. In her case, these were held in cat's eye frames. The contrast with the canonical glasses of her conceptual nemesis, Le Courbusier, is clear. His were rationalist spectacles, circular and dour and emblematically male. Jane's eyeglasses were not simply more cheerful, more feminized, more biological than mathematical in their inspiration. They were more timely in their fashionability. And so it was with her view of the city. Her gaze took in both the feral and the cooperative, a way of looking that saw urbanity not in the reduction of its order to the regularity of clockwork, but in its vivid spontaneity and expansive, ever-transforming difference. We all wear cat's eye glasses now, too many of us, though wear them to be seen rather than to see. One of the most succinctly trivial news items during the debate about the design of Ground Zero was a squib in the Times about the eyewear of the architects who were up for the job. All were studied and expensive and included at least one pair of the Corb Johnson Pay wannabe glasses, parcel of architecture's most elemental displacement, the idea that the style and celebrity of the author were more than certification enough for the architecture to come. Jane Jacobs' celebrity was more substantial, not the result of whom she knew or how she looked externally, but of what she did and how she thought. Perhaps less rigorous than intuitive in her looking, she looked nonetheless with a keen and imaginative eye, tracking her whole nearly 90-year life and insatiable curiosity finding insights galore that she shared with the glee of a child turning over rocks in the woods to see what wiggles underneath. And we'll hear about Girl Scouts soon. As an original thinker, Jane Jacobs continued to stretch the boundaries of what we know. Her views flew in the face of common dogma. As a practical, grounded thinker, she made her purpose to uncover how cities work and explain the mechanisms that bring health to urban areas, vitality to abandoned places, and economic growth where there is stagnation. She is remembered as a champion of neighborhoods and a formidable opponent of urban renewal models with their bulldoze and modernized credo. Not a single person, not a single sparrow shall be displaced was the rallying cry she inspired to protect New York City's Greenwich Village housing from the wrecking ball. Jacobs had a profound effect on the entire field of urban planning and economics through her ability to use examples from the street to inform her elegant philosophies. Sorkin also notes, the lenses in those glasses were multifocals, allowing Jane Jacobs to see the city with unrivaled richness and nuance. The ballet she saw was complex and rich with the beauties of everyday transactions, but it was a ballet in which the choreographic role was ceded to every individual. Rejecting the ballet mechanique of modernism as an autocratic dance akin to the maniacal, dehumanizing North Korea mass games, she saw the decisive beauty and democracy in the ineffable 
yet concrete intercourse of the conventional and the creative, she recognized that the city can only be the crucible of dreams if it offers a stimulating home to every dreamer. So much to see through those cat's-eyed frames. Words of the late architect and critic Michael Sorkin in the study, What We See. What we see, that's the key, and it's the reason there will be an enormous pair of eyeglasses exactly the kind Jane Jacobs wore on Courthouse Square in Scranton next week. Why a flag that features a pair of just such glasses will be raised this Tuesday, May 4th. May 4th, the 105th anniversary of the birth in Scranton of Jane Isabel Butzner, the celebrated urbanist activist who became Jane Jacobs, author of the seminal study, The Death and Life of Great American Cities. Marywood University and the Center for the Living City and their partners will present Observe Scranton, Jane Jacobs' first city festival, May 4th through the 8th, featuring a week-long program of events. Maria McDonald is instructor of practice interior architecture at Marywood University in Scranton and executive director of the Center for the Living City. We had a chance to speak by phone with Maria McDonald about Jane Jacobs, the festival, and the Center for the Living City. The Center for the Living City was actually founded by Jane Jacobs 15 years ago with a bunch of other like-minded activists. And it's really interesting because the folks that are still on the board currently of the Center for the Living City were very good friends with Jane. And they said that she was adamant that it not be called anything Jane Jacobs. It was not about her. It was about a living city. So the Center for the Living City was formed um, at that time because it was about everything that is the life of a city. It was founded and still is rooted in inclusion and diversity and sustainability, communities, neighborhoods, vibrant downtowns. Jane was famous for saving Greenwich Village in New York City from the wrecking ball. So most people often confuse the Center for the Living City and the work with Jane is simply saving old buildings. But there's so much more to the depth and the reach of the work from Jane's life and her, her work. And the Center, in turn, has carried on those missions. And really, it goes anywhere from the environment and sustainability and understanding hydroponic gardening to park design to leadership, civic leadership and conversations. It's just really a place to talk about the ecosystem and the life of a city. But what about the Center for the Living City and Scranton? It's so interesting because about the same time the center was being founded, very coincidentally, we, a group of faculty at Marywood University, we were founding our School of Architecture. So our School of Architecture is the first fully accredited architecture school in northeastern Pennsylvania, first and only. And we founded it under a very similar ethos and a banner of, of understanding cities and the design of cities and economy and inclusion and diversity. And we were so happy to place the architecture program here in Scranton because of the openness of the community to engage with us as far as what can we do with this building, come help us with this corner park. I mean, just engaging with the downtown has been part of our mission and Marywood's mission for service. 
And so as we were doing that, we were founding our architecture program. So I went back to my readings about Jane Jacob. This is a true story. I went back to my old book, The Death and Life of the Great American Cities, which is the Bible of, of all of the work that she's ever, and that is the iconic book, The Death and Life of Great American Cities. So we, we did some more research and wanted to see if there's any foundation in her name. And that's how graduate students and I did some digging. And we realized there isn't, but there is a Center for the Living City. So we connected with the Center for the Living City as, look, hey, we're here in Scranton, Pennsylvania, happened to be where Jane Jacobs grew up, and we're building an architecture school at Marywood University. That was our first introduction to the Center for the Living City. And then there are so many wonderful people on the board of the center. A lot of them are academics. They're from all different universities themselves, from Columbia and Harvard and Clemson and Purchase University, all over doing this work. So then we as faculty would partner with some of the folks on the center's board, and we infused that into our teaching of the School of Architecture at Marywood. And then over COVID, everything's like before COVID and after COVID. So last year, around this time, the executive director who founded the center with Jane was retiring and he reached out and said, hey, Maria, would you consider applying for the position of executive director? And at first I thought that was, was like silly. I was like, really? Little old us in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And he said, you know, New York City's had its home base there for long enough. And then she spent her later years in Toronto. He said, why not Scranton? That, that's where she started her life. Maybe this is the perfect trifecta to complete her story. So, yeah, I applied and boasted about the School of Architecture and all the great work that we do in the community and the ideas of service and, and the values that we have of equality and diversity. And I always say it's not because of me, it's the whole team of us that we did get the job that we are now home base for the Center for the Living City. I am the executive director and still teaching at Marywood, but that sort of just, we were running parallel tracks and then it just sort of intersected. And, and now as a result, here we are today celebrating Jane's what would be her 105th birthday and her life here in Scranton with a new book that's coming out, Jane Jacobs' First City, Scranton, Learning from Scranton, Pennsylvania. And we're putting on a five-day festival celebrating her life here with the architecture program, but also with just about everyone in the community has been, been helping us and is was where we are today with the festival and just sort of bringing her back home and introducing her to her community. And that's so important because, as you suggested, she had a reach that is extraordinary. And people even today are studying what she said and rethinking their strategies, right? So true, Erica. You know, I just read another article. I've got now as the executive director, I, I receive blog posts and articles from folks all over the country and the world, quite honestly. And this one really hit me. It was the relevance and staying power of Jane Jacobs. And he talks about in the post-pandemic climate and how she inspired something called the 15-minute city. And the 15-minute city meant you could walk almost anywhere you need to get in 15 minutes. And guess what? Where we live in northeastern Pennsylvania, for the most part, if you're in a city or in a tight neighborhood, you could get just about anywhere you really need to in 15 minutes. You could get to your schools and grocery stores and parks and doctor's offices and you know, just about anywhere you need to go if you want to walk. And that's what the 15-minute city is. And now we're looking at the world today after the pandemic and going back outside and, hey, maybe we should shut down some streets and, like, flood out into the roads and have more areas we can eat outside and gather outside and play outside and do more things together as a community that we could walk to and support one another in a network. 
You know, and that's really what Jane saw back in the 1920s growing up in Scranton. It was a, a network of a, of a community that took care of each other. And here we are again, 100 years later, finding ourselves very in a very similar position that through the pandemic, we all started to kind of take care of one another. And what does that look like going forward? So her staying power is more relevant now than ever, actually. And I kind of wish sometimes that, you know, she would see how important that her life was here to our city, but her family is still with us and they know and her friends know, and I'm sure she's smiling down on us, so she does know, but it's just like sometimes these ideas take time to come back around, and uh, I feel like we're just getting started, really, with her work here, and it's incredible because it's just everything that we know as the people that live in this area is just who we are and what we do, and you know, we branded it our festival Eyes on Scranton, because Jane wore these iconic black glasses. Again, we can't use her name because we're never allowed to put her name on anything, but through her eyes and through her observation, that's why the festival that we are talking about ultimately right now is called Observe Scranton. And we coined it that because of the power of observation, how Jane would look at a place and look at a city with empathy and understanding and concern and see the problems and see the struggles and, and try to find solutions, but it was always through the power of that observation and looking and understanding. And what she learned growing up here is what she took with her into her life. So those first 21 years were things that she understood and looked at as far as what a community, what a neighborhood should be. And that's all she ever wrote about. So we were making this, we made a strong case that this is full circle back to where she started and where we live is is really quite spectacular and special, and maybe we don't always understand how special it really is, but it just really is. So and that's really the, the purpose of our festival. And Maria, take us back to little Jane, who was quite a corker. <laughs> she had quite a personality, didn't she? <laughs> she sure did. She uh, apparently was not the greatest of students, and she was a little bit defiant. <laughs> And she certainly had, I guess, through her life, she had quite a personality, quite a sense of humor. And a different way of looking at the world, she was just always a special child. And, you know, her first job here in our area was as a journalist. So she found her way. She was a writer and a journalist. So anytime I get interviewed by anyone like yourself, Erica, or perhaps a newspaper reporter calls me, I always say, remember, she was a storyteller and she was a journalist. She was you, you know, and she was just reporting and talking about the things that she observed and saw. And maybe sometimes people didn't like to hear what she had to say, but she was always very upfront and vocal and, and said it like it is. And she was, she was something else. And she was very embedded in the Girl Scouts. So that's another beautiful part of this story that we're relooping. We have a Jane Jacobs patch, like a Girl Scout patch called Observe, little glasses on it. And we, we reconnected to the Northeastern Pennsylvania Girl Scouts in Camp Archibald, where she went to Girl Scout camp. And they're also going to be having an exhibit with our festival on the 100 years of Girl Scouting at Camp Archibald. And we have James and her sister. We have pictures of her at camp as a little Girl Scout. And she credits a lot of what she learned in Girl Scouting to understanding nature and like that sort of interconnected ecosystem, how nature depends upon itself and how a community and a city is a, also an operating system. So she, she talked a lot about, as a child, that she learned from, from Girl Scouting what led her into becoming the leader that she was. And I think that's really kind of cool. And we connected with the Girl Scouts here, and we talk a lot about what we've learned from being a Girl Scout and how she we have similar paths in that direction. And then, you know, they have pictures, like drawings that she did and writings when she was an early Girl Scout. So she was, she was something special all the way through. 
And she didn't forget Scranton. You say that she looked back when Lackawanna Avenue was under threat. Oh, and... yeah. This, is, this one kills me. I'll try to get through this explanation without crying because I always get so emotional. So we found three years ago buried in the attic of the Architectural Heritage Association, AHA, at Wayne Evans' office over on Pittston Avenue in Scranton, he, he was holding all the archives. And archives still exist, but at a smaller level than it used to back in the 80s. And um, they were very active. So Jane wrote a letter, and then AHA had this letter. We know that they had this letter that Jane wrote about the mall and about her city. And they couldn't recall how it was written, but we knew there was this letter that Jane wrote to the city of Scranton, upset that they were going to tear down the majority of Lackawanna Avenue in the city. She was very upset by that, and she wrote a letter, and then, then the letter went, you know, into a, a pile and into the archives. So we searched and searched and searched for this letter with graduate students from Marywood School of Architecture, and we ultimately found it, which was one of the most exciting days ever. We pulled out of a, no kidding, you know, box, banker boxes full of dust and cobwebs and one by one going through each letter. And when we found that letter, we knew it was her letter because of the typewriter. She always had this one typewriter that she had, you know, written all her letters on it. We pulled it out, and, and at the end, there's her signature, Jane Jacobs. You know, it just almost fell over. I couldn't believe it. So we, we were on the phone with the author, Glenna Lang, who was writing the new book about Jane's life in Scranton, and she was on speakerphone, and we had some students, and we started reading the letter. It's, I, don't, I mean, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, but it's so beautiful because she starts with, Classic Jane. She's so complimentary. She, it was to Tim McDowell of the Office of Economics and City Development, and I think it was written in 1981. And here's the deal. It was written on New Year's Eve. So you know she was feeling very sentimental and very connected to her, you know, very emotional. So she writes about how beautiful Scranton is and how proud she is of her city. And she didn't say it's her city yet. She starts, talks about the city of Scranton, how she, on a recent visit, noticed well-tended moms and pride and all these beautiful things. And then she socks it to him. <laughs> and then she says, however, I was appalled to hear that there would be a suburban-type shopping mall imposed on the downtown. And then she goes on for all these reasons why it wasn't going to be successful and uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Like, just, it was wonderful. She went through these, like, this sort of exercise and lesson in and why the building should have been saved. And then at the end, the third page, is when she, she writes, why is someone like me, an outsider like me, being so officious as to write an unsolicited letter? Like, in other words, you didn't ask for my advice. Why am I being so bold? And then she follows it up with, I'm not totally an outsider. And this is the part gets that I always get. I was born and raised in Dunmore and Scranton, and I have taken precarious pride in the city on its and it's good times, and I've wept for you in your hard times, and I consider myself one of you, and I take, I take pride in knowing what Scranton has been in the past, what it can be today, and what it is now, and what it can be in the future. And it's this sort of past, present, future perspective, and just spelled it right out that that's my home, and my heart is there with you. And it's just so lovely, and it's so moving, and it just shows you that even to the end, that she died a few years later, she was with us. She was here following everything that we were doing, and, and I think that's why it's so special now that I wish she knew how great every, like how Lackawanna Avenue is coming back and how the mall is actually being woven back into the fabric of Lackawanna Avenue in a way I think she would really like. You know, it's diverse. It's not a typical shopping mall anymore. It's, 
it's finding its way back into the roots of the community. It took a long time, but it's, it's happening. And so, yeah, she really declared her allegiance to us, and she was with us. So that letter is very special, and that letter is going to be a, a main part of our festival. We have it blown up really large, and the University of Scranton is doing a civic dialogue around what Scranton had been in the past, what it is now, and what it can be. So we've taken parts of the letter, and we're, we we're using it all over in different places around the city for our exhibit to really show how much she did feel that this was her home. And now, Maria, as you look out from her hometown in your professional capacity, what do you see as the difference she has made? You mentioned saving Greenwich Village, but she also shaped the understanding and, again, that way of seeing of a whole generation. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'd really love everyone to visit our website, to the Center for the Living City. There's articles and articles on Jane's life, so it's centerforthelivingcity.org or our Observe Scranton website to get all of the details on her, the death and life of the great American cities. This book has been translated into dozens of languages, so it's around the world. It's been read by architects, city planners, urban designers, landscape architects for park designs, things like that. And then there's a whole bunch of her work for economists. So understanding the economy of cities and the chambers, sociologists, philosophers, and anyone who really loves the city around the world are deeply influenced by her work. And and now we're really finding this whole thread of sustainability because she really she was growing plants, a garden in her house in Toronto, you know, like sixty years ago. They thought she was nutty. She had plants growing on a roof. <laughs> so she's just she's just amazing. And she wrote the death and life of great American cities. And then she wrote 18 more books that are all important and and still relevant today. So she's just a very influential author. And Bruce Rosenstein sent me a blog post uh, back in October. And this is so fascinating. He found a whole bunch of articles. Forbes magazine, Why Jane Jacobs Still Leads in Urbanism, The Los Angeles Review of Books, Rereading Jane Jacobs in Quarantine, Medium in the Modern City, How Jane Jacobs Fought the Destruction of New York City, uh, the National Trust for Historic Preservation, Jane Jacobs. These are recent articles. Popular Science, Meet the Hero Who Saved Everything You Love About Modern Cities, Strong Towns, J is for Jane Jacobs, The Urbanist, Now is the Time to Reread Jane Jacobs Backwards, which I actually did in quarantine, <laughs> Herb Equity, Jane Jacobs, Death and Life. It's, it's remarkable how there's such a resurgence of her, her legacy right now, and I just really think it's the this whole shock of the pandemic and, and throwing us back into small neighborhoods and groups again to, to socialize with one another, that is, is pushing this forward. And you said at the start, you feel like you're only just getting started. And it sounds like there is so much to explore and so much to investigate, right? Absolutely. And, you know, again, being a professor in a school of architecture here in this area, it's just Oh, overwhelming, because I tell our students all the time, you're our future. They are the ones reading the work right now. So these are, you know, young minds reading her work today in 2021. And to watch them interpret this and the results. So I'll give you a few examples. We read Death and Life last fall on Great American Cities. And then immediately in, the, in January when we came back to school, again, mostly online, we weren't all together. 
we often have a spring competition. And spring competition is in architecture school is something like, you know, oh, design a bike or ranch or a boat launch or something like for the community that we could give back, but it was a built structure. Well, this year, our spring competition, the students came to us and said, we want to have a conversation about inclusion. What does that really mean? And the struggles with sexual identity and social injustice and these issues that through the built environment, how and because they were coming out of isolation. So operating in isolation, how can we design spaces that influence people to make them feel better about their communities? And that was based on the influence from reading Death and Life of Great American Cities because we all remember, well, this is the classic Jane Jacobs line. Cities are designed by people for people. So it's all about the person and the occupant and the people that live in the city. They are the stakeholders. So everything that we design should be for them. So let's think about what, what they're experiencing at this time and then design a, a, a response to that. And that really tilted, like shifted the way we think about architecture and design and those minds of the students. And they just curated an exhibit about minority designers that have been underrepresented. And that's in our school right now, in our, our um, Last week, it's a beautiful exhibition the students curated themselves about inclusion. The influence is astounding. It's not, again, about saving a building or designing a park. It's about really thinking about how we operate as, as, as a community and how we interface with one another. And what can we do to help facilitate those things? As, in our case, architects to the built environment, but, again, economists, philosophers, landscape designers, anyone else, same basic concepts, but how do they then interpret those ideas and principles and make a difference in their communities. So we're seeing that result of her work coming through that generation, and I just think it's so exciting to see that happen. And this, I believe it's this generation. I don't think it's just all architecture students. There's so much hope for this new generation. They certainly have a respect for history and a respect for the environment and the climate and our, the places where we live in a, in a kind of a great way. Now tell us what you're inviting us to take part in as this special week gets underway oh, okay. in May. So we have everything from really intellectual, heavy conversations to super fun stuff like just get your picture taken with these giant glasses that we made <laughs> on Courthouse Square. The festival is four days. It starts on May 4th, which would be Jane's 105th birthday, with a flag-raising ceremony at Stanton City Hall with Mayor Paige Cognetti, who's just been a champion for this. So we're, we're raising a flag in her honor. Our black glasses we designed with a competition. We opened it up in the winter. Black glasses are going up on the flag, and it's going to be Jane Jacobs Day in the city of Scranton, a day of community gathering and conversation. And that happens in the morning. And then in the evening at Lackawanna College, in a beautiful theater, we have a book reading, and we launch of the book, Jane Jacobs, First City Scranton. That is also available virtually. So people could go to our website, observescranton.org, register, and get the Zoom link. Everything's free, you know, just to listen to all these conversations. Then throughout the week, the 5th and 6th and 7th, during the day, we have Jane Jacobs Walks that will be happening around the city. They're all listed, walking tours of downtown Scranton, walking tours of the Greenridge section, walking tours of actually a Fernhill Cemetery over here in Dunmore. So there's several different walks happening. And then and there's also, we partnered with Valley in Motion, and they're doing conversations about the Blue Zones. The Blue Zones are a wonderful movement to healthy living in a Blue Zone. So 
the Valley in Motion has been taking the lead on this, and then they, they partnered with us to have some conversations. So all their events are listed, the Blue Zone conversations during the week, and then we culminate with First Friday, which is May 7th, and we have 13 exhibits all over downtown Scranton. This is the exciting part. Business developers and, and owners throughout the city just gave us, if they had a vacancy in any of their buildings, here you have it for the week. Put anything you want in there. So we have 13 different locations. Well, one, a couple of them aren't vacant. Like I'll be exhibiting the Radisson Lackawanna Hotel as a station hotel, like in their lobby. The Children's Library, we have a Girl Scout exhibit there. Then a couple of them are some empty storefronts. But it's just like 13 different locations. And there's going to be everything from the death and life of the Great American Cities book illustrated because there were never any drawings for it. So one of the groups spent a year drawing it out. And then we have exhibits on renovating, working with the Scranton Lace Factory. So on the renovation of an old factory, some silk mills are being renovated. So we have an exhibit on that. And then we have a retrospective on diversity, exhibits I mentioned previously from, from our students. And then some other global initiatives and a couple virtual exhibits. So we have exhibits happening all over in tandem with streets being closed and our first ever light up the night bike ride with the Northeast Art Project. They're having a competition that the best lit-up bicycle is going to win a $500 prize, and they're riding lit-up bikes all around downtown. That's super fun because Jane was an avid bike rider. She didn't breathe in the car. We're pretty sure she didn't have a license. We're not sure exactly, but we think she never drove a car. She rode her bike everywhere. Actually, we have pictures of her in pearls and a dress riding her bike through New York City. It's just a riot. And so we have a bike ride planned. And then, like I said, too, we have these 18-foot black glasses right on Courthouse Square, where you can stand in the glasses and look up and see the Electric City sign. So we have a photo competition for that. And then we conclude with Saturday Night Story Slam with the Fringe Festival, which is we're shutting down the street in front of the Cultural Center. And it's a hilarious performance about growing up here in northeastern Pennsylvania. We have real people telling stories about living here. And some of it's funny. I guess some of it could be heart-wrenching as well. But then we have judges, and it's just a super fun night and a way to conclude the five-day festival. So that's with the Fringe Festival called Story Slam. All of that can be found on our website, and that's the festival celebrating her life. But this is not a conclusion. This is the start of Jane's legacy here in our area. So we look at this as just the beginning. Maria McDonald instructor of practice interior architecture at Marywood University in Scranton and executive director of the Center for the Living City, the center founded by Jane Jacobs, speaking with us about Scranton native Jane Jacobs, the Center for the Living City, and all that in anticipation of the celebration next week, Jane Jacobs' First City Festival, May 4th through the 8th. Marywood University and the Center for the Living City will host Observe Scranton, and it is a week-long program of events celebrating Scranton through the eyes of Jane Jacobs, and it would be her 105th birthday on May 4th. Free community exhibits will be located throughout the city, and it will all be in collaboration with the Lackawanna County Library, the city of Scranton, other local colleges and universities, many private community-minded developers and organizations and businesses. So as we heard, Tuesday, May 4th, the actual day, the birthday anniversary, the festival will kick off with Jane Jacobs Day and flag raising 
at Scranton City Hall at 10 a.m., 340 North Washington Avenue in Scranton. That evening, a book launch at 6.30 p.m. in the theater at Lackawanna College. Author Glenna Lang of Boston will give a slide presentation to celebrate the publication of her book, Jane Jacobs' First City, Learning from Scranton, Pennsylvania. On Wednesday the 5th, a community conversation, a Scranton City dialogue from 6 to 7.30 on Zoom, hosted by the University of Scranton and City Partners. A book reading by Glenna Lang again and community members on Thursday at 5.30. Scranton's first Friday, 5 to 9, there will be events and exhibits and that bike ride. And then Saturday, May 8th, culminating with the Scranton Story Slam with Scranton Fringe at the Scranton Cultural Center at 7. For details, observescranton.org. That's the website, observescranton.org. It is the first festival to celebrate Jane Jacobs. May 4th through the 8th, Jane Jacobs' first city festival, observescranton.org, observescranton.org. <laughs>